that's a good question. Cultural change isn't happening fast enough. I would say that's probably the main one. I, I've been here two years now, and despite all the internal communications programs we do, despite dedicated pages and links to pages on the uh, on the intranet, um, we we have a, a definite hardcore of interested people who are always involved and always always trying to do things. But two years in, it's it's still not the, that big a snowball. Because my colleagues want to manage properties. They don't. This isn't this isn't a priority necessarily for them. They, they want to manage the property so they want to keep residents happy, residents safe. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Rethink What Matters, the podcast dedicated to aligning the economy with the ecology and everyone for improved business performance, stronger families and a greener, cooler planet. And today I'm joined by Christian Phipps, Sustainability Manager at Ameria, and we're going to be talking about sustainability in property management. Can we just start off, Christian, um, with uh, getting a better understanding of your role as Sustainability Manager there at Ameria and, and the scope of it? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, I, I was recruited two years ago, almost exactly, to what was... Um, a company called Firstport, who have subsequently been purchased by Emiria in the last 12 months. So I've moved over to the, the, the above site and the above group division into the Emiria role. Um, initially, my role was to help with the rollout of ISO 14001 and to coordinate a lot of the carbon reporting. So that's the second report that the company was, was um, required to do for its third year. Um, due to its size and turnover. Um, in addition to that, there was a number of opportunities to, to do biodiversity projects around um, some of the developments that we manage that have interesting grounds and interesting locations. Um, so there was some, some good news as well. And a lot of communications as well and cultural change that's required um, across most industries and most organisations at the moment. It was the same for, for First Port Stroke Amiria. So what's the scope? I mean, what's the size of the, the, you know, the, the, the job that you've got there? How many properties and tenants? And... Well, it's interesting. We, uh, that, that's a, that's a movable, movable uh, target, a movable number. That's uh, probably changed since we've started this conversation. But roughly speaking, we have um, over 5,800 developments we manage. It's roughly 250,000 tenants on those developments. Um, we are the largest in the UK and across Europe as well now that uh, Amiria have purchased Firstport and the Firstport Group. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a considerable scope of operations. It is, it is. And how big's your team? You're talking to it. <laughs> Great. We're Brilliant. all here. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, just, uh, so can you give us an idea of how diverse those properties are? Yeah, absolutely. We have um, various different um, divisions. So we have a retirement division whereby we have um, a large number of pretty uniform-sized buildings with um, 40 to 50 units in each that are, that are dotted around, which, which are catered for um, elder residents. They're not care homes, but um, they do have, for the most part, live-in managers. Um, we also have, at the other end of the spectrum, a large and complex division, which, which manage 
top end high rises in, in major cities that can have things such as pools and gymnasiums in and all sorts of interesting uh, district heating systems etc um, and, and everything in between really we have we have some mistakes but we also have a number of um, developments that have been built into um, into listed buildings and around listed buildings so for example um, Royal Ellswood Park in uh, Red Hill is uh, an old mental hospital right we have um, we have a, an old school for the for deaf children in Scotland right we look after in Edinburgh so there's some there's some quite diverse locations right yeah absolutely fantastic so really right across the UK mm, absolutely wow fantastic and do you get to travel with this job do you need to go and visit these places or, or I, I do travel to a degree um, yeah. obviously the role itself doesn't encourage you to be on the road 24-7 um, but um, yeah, you, need, yeah you do need to go around and visit people you do need to you need to see people and, and to, to see the, the sort of size of people's issues and, and when we when we roll out specific specific problems and projects I like to like to actually be there as well so yeah there is some travel right right and so there's such a variety such a variety of properties there and you can imagine uh, you know variety a variety of challenges that face you on a on a day-to-day -day basis yeah. you know sustainability manager for such a such a large enterprise mm. um, you know, just can you give us a bit of a feel for what that role yeah. entails on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, the, the, the underlying and fundamental um, feature of residential property management is that we don't physically own anything ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we don't own the offices that we, we use, we utilise, we don't own any of the developments. So we're very much, we're very much the middlemen. We're, we, we work for clients, we work for landowners, and we work for, for freeholders, and we're paid for by leaseholders so by the residents so it's a it's a fine balance yeah of of, of sort of relationship management as well at the same time because they're not our properties we we can only have a certain level of influence as to items such as as renewable uh, installations and um ev charge points installation right. etc so we can we can we can assist we can facilitate but um we can't go ahead and, and just and just do things because at the end of the day yep. it's not our money either you know it's uh, it's a res the residents money we manage the, we manage service charge accounts on all our locations and uh, there are certain right. there are certain um checks and balances that you do you need to go through to to suspend that money heat pops you know um you know they're, they're good aren't they for the tenants um but do the do the landlords want to invest the, the nature of of regulations are that residents have a lot of protections in the uk leaseholders have a lot of protections against potentially unscrupulous property management companies so if you want to get anything anything installed quickly if you want to get any kind of improvements in inverted commas made then you need to go down a set route of of asking the residents formally mm -hmm. and obtaining obtaining numerous quotes etc it's a process that can take some months so you can't get anything done very particularly quickly yeah um then you have as, as you say the as I said earlier, the added complication of of the number of parties involved and the number of yep. stakeholders involved so it's all very well for example the residents deciding that they want something but if that doesn't fit with the the landlords or their, their yep. particular plans then it's very difficult to to get things moving and, and the same yep. goes the other way as well um a good example is is ev charge point installation okay you know, it's, it's a well-known it's a well-known issue around the the uk that that publicly available charge points are 
not matching the amount of vehicles that are being sold. Right. So there's a gap there. But uh, you think it would be quite straightforward that you'd have residents, number of residents perhaps, perhaps in a multi-tenanted building that would, would want to own an electric car, would need a charging facility for it. Yeah. And therefore you could quite easily just install two or three charge points. But uh, it doesn't quite work like that, sadly. There's a, a, aside from the, the regulations around, uh, around protection of the residents' monies that I've already mentioned, there's, there's other issues such as the existing power supply for, uh, to the building, whether or not if you install a, a charge point and you, you utilise uh, any available space on a distribution board, for example, yep. should anything further be required down the line, then who pays for the additional, additional um, energy to the site, for example. Right, right. Not only that, but there's also there's also issues around. Do you have shared car parking spaces? If you don't have shared car parking spaces, then you're asking residents to potentially pay for long pipe runs, um, cable runs, for example. Right. And also there's the health and safety tied in with it as well. So it's it's a tricky right. thing to, to to push through. What well, what would you say is drives your agenda each day, main in the main? Um, so I suppose there are, I mean, there's the operational side of things. Do you yeah. get, is your role into a sustainability manager, is that driven by operational problems, you know, day-to-day -day operational stuff, or is, does it tend to be much more about building a more sustainable future? Yeah, it's, it's not so much operationally. I do, I do go down that particular rabbit hole from time to time. And yeah, I was going to say, for example, at the moment, there's the, uh, the government's energy bill discount scheme. Mm -hmm. that's, that's in, in the process of, of rolling out whereby, um, whereby heat network um, heat suppliers of heat networks, so some of our buildings, which which we do fall into that category, are required to, to identify and, and notify the government of the location of these heat networks and district heating systems so that the residents can take advantage of, of reduced rates. Right. Um, but that that's there's quite a, a knowledge gap around around uh, what a heat network is, where, where they actually are. So I'm, on an operational level, I'm, I'm spending time talking to the teams trying to locate all of those and, and trying to identify all of those. Yep. But on the other hand, on the other hand, um, I spend time doing communications and I'm also doing a lot of updates around biodiversity net gain requirements that are coming down the line yep. um, in, in November, which are going to directly affect us as a business. It does. Because uh, yeah, all well, our teams will be required to, for the most part, to manage manage the biodiversity net gain on new locations. I was going to say, yeah, so, it's, it's new stuff, isn't it? I think that it is new stuff. Yeah. It is, yeah. And, and at the same time, I'm, I'm involved in other projects around getting better visibility around the half hourly meter data and the electric, electricity use that we have on our site so that we can identify anomalies and, and highs and lows and trying to reduce those. Yeah. Um, and as, as, well as, as well as anything else that's coming along and hoving to view, because as I say, we've we've been purchased by a, by a French company now, so we are subject to EU regulation as much as they are now and right. we're required to report to the same levels as they do so to so all the corporate sustainability reporting directive and and, and its associated uh, associated bits of legislation coming down the line are, are going to directly affect us so i need right. to make sure that everyone is aware of that and how's your french <laughs> i can get by on holiday <laughs> i know that you know when french companies buy you know when yes. they buy a company they want you to speak french i think well, they, they have mentioned that. Actually. I'm more than happy to, yeah. uh, to, to spend six months well in the south of France learning. <laughs> Get some training in the south of France. I mean, I'm interested in what's driving your, your task list each day. Is it uh, 
you know, is it is it projects that you've got to 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 to, to implement you know because of yep. uh, uh, various um, environmental legislate various li environmental legislation that's coming down the line or I mean, what is that what is that picture for you today it's a combination of the both i would say we we we, we have iso 14001 certification and um we also i, I chair and, uh, and run the internal esg committee for right. the organization um and as part of that we have a subcommittee around the environment which i look after as well and just this week we had a we had a meeting and we identified a number of gaps around how how corporately we dispose of waste um mm -hmm. it's not just it's not just our offices with bins outside for example and the occasional clear out it's all about individual locations and specific one-off events and record keeping and where 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 is all of this meant to be based who's looking after it who's reporting it etc so we've right. identified a specific project there which we will be will be scoping out and uh, and and in, and spending some time on and then communicating because a lot as i said to you earlier a lot of this is about communications and yep. maintaining a constant stream of, of of updates to to my colleagues predominantly to start with Right. Um, around around such things like that, um, I, I constantly am spending time gathering data for carbon accounting uh, purposes, for example, um, yeah. which which is quite onerous. If I'm honest, it's it's difficult getting getting such items as internal mileage usage and, and travel corporate travel details, right. as well as as well as we have a number of. A number of office locations and we we've, we've acquired some businesses recently whereby one of the key factors for me is identifying energy usage identifying what the air conditioning units they have on site whether or not there's any any uh, um, fugitive gases from them any gas leaks so they're together they're gathering their their usage of, of pool cars their their purchasing of, of cleaning equipment and, and materials so it's a it's, a, it's not it's not particularly complex, but it's extremely high volume amount of, of, yeah. uh, of information that, that takes a lot of time to gather. Yeah, so you do look at scopes one, two and three? Predominantly one and two at the moment, but we have been doing three as well because we don't actually own our own, our own fleet of vehicles, for example. Um, yeah. All the staff use their own cars and claim mileage. They're, they fall into our scope three as their grey fleet. So right. we have that. We're also looking at, um, we've been collecting data for all of our cloud usage from uh, from our cloud suppliers right. this year, uh, as well as um, some wastewater data we've managed to locate from a couple of our locations, um, right. and, and other items such as our IT procurement, uh, our furniture procurement, all our direct FM um, right. bits and bobs that we buy. Um, yeah. But yeah, we we have also started uh, to assess our top twenty by spend suppliers um, to do a, to a loose calculation around um, where we think the best places to target are to to directly get in, engaged with them and, and to, to speak to our biggest suppliers around what their plans are how they're how they're controlling or plan to control right. their carbon you're doing that you're doing how, that. Yeah, yeah we are we're, we're trying yeah. to start so yeah but again that that is it's quite a daunting task well, we have uh, thousands of suppliers what's the reaction of your suppliers when you say to them you know so what it, you know which, what are your uh, you know, what are your carbon emissions? What are your carbon reduction strategies? Some are perplexed. Some will will send me um, an environmental policy statement, which which you you could have got 
the chat GPT to write. Right. <laughs> yep, okay. they're, they're, pretty, they're all pretty similar. They, they, they say a lot to, to pretend they don't necessarily mean anything. I think it's, and, it's and, more and, about and, showing. It's, I think today it's well, yeah. really just about showing intent rather than actual yes. action, yes. isn't it? And we're almost just happy with that, I think. But yeah, the, the larger they are, the more susceptible, they, well, the more receptive they are, sorry, to, um, to the question because yep. they're, they're, being asked, they're being asked by other people as well. And you, you've got people asking you, I guess. You know? Exactly, yes. We have, we, we, we've started to see um, the requirement for, for various sustainability standards to, to some, of the, some of the tenants that we apply for. 250,000 tenants. How do yes. they fit into this picture? That's a very good question. Um, obviously, depending on who you, you talk to, um, the built environment accounts for between 10 and 20% of, of the UK's carbon emissions. And we have, I think it's been quite widely publicised recently, we have quite the spread of, of buildings and quite requirements for, for upgrades and for just basic insulation. So some of the things we are doing is trying to, trying to target where where, fuel, you know, where people with fuel poverty potentially or cost of living crisis might affect them more directly than others. So sometimes in the retirement areas, we, we've got buildings whereby we're having them thermally scanned to make sure that they actually have correct amounts of what and, and functional amounts of just basics such as insulation to start with. Again, because of the requirements um, that are coming in regarding uh, rental properties and EPC standards, and the fact that the government's new Eco4 scheme um, is also quite heavily tied in with EPC levels. When yep. you have a multi-tenanted building, particularly this one that's, that's physically connected as, as a block of flats are, you, yep. can have, you can have a multitude of different EPC values in the same building, which doesn't seem to make much sense, but if you think about it, you've got different levels, you've got different external wall coat types, uh, locations, you've got two bedroom flats, one bedroom flats, so they've all got different levels. So you can't, you can't take a blanket approach to one building and get everyone to enjoy the same free scheme, for example. Right. So it's helping, helping to assist, uh, to facilitate introductions as well, right. because as, as I say, these government schemes, you, you, the last thing you want is someone turning up and saying, this is a free government scheme. Yeah. Um, because no one believes that straight first and foremost so you have to you have to maintain a, a sort of trust as well so right. having to establish that some of these things are real so yeah it, helping them out is where they fit was where we fit in with them at the moment so what would you what would you say if, if you're allowed to say what was you you know your biggest frustration or your biggest challenge or you know the thing that you wish if you could if you could wave a magic wand something would get fixed um that's a good question Cultural change isn't happening fast enough. I would say that's probably the main one. I, I've been here two years now, and despite all the internal communications programs we do, despite dedicated pages and links to pages on the uh, on the intranet, mm -hmm. um, we we have a, a definite hardcore of interested people who are always involved and always always try and do things. And I guess it, this could be more down to the fact that you know, maybe I'm personally a little bit too impatient to get things moving. I mean, I know a lot of uh, you know, giant snowballs start with as, as tiny, tiny snowballs. And once you get momentum going, things, things get larger very quickly. Yeah. But two years in, it's, it's still not the, that big a snowball. So, right. I, I, so it's a question of going back and, and reassessing how we communicate again, reassessing what projects we can get involved in and just getting out there because, because my colleagues want to manage properties. They don't, 
this isn't this isn't a priority necessarily for them. They they want to manage the budget. So they want to keep residents happy, residents safe. Yeah, yeah. You're having to create the sustainability yeah. mindset within Amiria. Then, by the sounds of it. Yeah, it, it, I mean, since we've been bought by Amiria, we've we've. I mean, every business has silos, but um, the, the the group companies have, have have split off into separate entities. So. It's an additional challenge trying to keep hold of and in touch with everyone with all the, the different different developments and different buildings and different yeah. businesses now that um, that we've we've become. Um, right. So it's yeah. I, yeah. I, is 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 there a lot of competition in the property management uh, industry? You know, in terms of green credentials, is it something which landlords are looking at? Um, less so, in my experience, in direct residential property management at the moment. I do have regular calls with our business development, business development team and they, um, and they do come to me regularly to, to, with specific questions that they've, they've had pop up that um, they would like a, a require an answer to, but we're talking one or two questions in a, in a massive tender. So it's, right. it's starting, but um, it's, there's, no, there's no tsunami of them at the moment. Um, but yeah, yeah, I so, think we, yeah, we do need to, I mean, I'm looking also myself to see that there's more conversation in business around okay. sustainability and net zero, net gain as we would, we would really like to, um, oh, ideally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so that's our goal, net gain, because net zero just keeps everything the way that it is, right? So. I think, I think too many people don't want, don't want to think about how big a challenge it is. Um, yeah. And how, how potentially how potentially wrong it's all going to go if we're not careful. Does food come into your into your remit at all? The only, the only way it would do is the is the the forthcoming rollout of residential collections of, of segregated food waste that everyone's going to have to do at some stage, um, relatively soon. I was going um, to say how you would do that in a block yeah. of flats for star for starters. Um, it's because all of these blocks of blocks of flats have got have got two waste chutes, one for general waste and one for recycling. Right. And you can just imagine what would happen if you start pouring pouring food down one or an equivalent one. It's 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 going to create all kinds of uh, issues around smell and and pests. So yeah, yeah. And I think distributed heat networks. They you know that um, especially if you've got a block of flats. Um, there's more and more coming online all the time. I know the government are keen that they become um, a pivot or a, a, a base of for their net zero targets of 2050 um, and we, we we manage somewhere in the region of 100 at the moment and I say manage we are the heat supplier which means that um, we we arrange the billing we arrange the um, compliance to the uh, to the heat metering um, right. and billing regulations and and we run the plant rooms so yeah it's our responsibility to to maintain boilers and make sure that the plant's efficient so that we, uh, we're we not wasting any energy there's a, there's a lot of challenges that that are coming down the line, for example, decarbonizing tall buildings. Um, I mean, we've just touched on them and um, and how they're supplied by heat networks at the moment. But um, how, how do you, this is, these are most, for the most part, these are gas boilers. So at some stage, we're gonna to need to rethink that. So what do you do? Do you, do you upscale massively large amounts of air source heat pumps? Is there a ground source heat pump opportunity there? Um, there's Obviously, every individual location is going to have its own challenges, um, location-wise, space-wise, etc. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you've got, you've got a tall, multi-story building. You, you can't put enough solar panels on the roof to to, fill the, to, to provide enough energy because it's just the, foot, the footprint of the building isn't big enough. So, 
So there's legislation that's coming that's going to ban gas boilers. And uh, it's certainly going to be a challenge for the industry, yes. But as I yeah. say, but, you know, it's. I think there will be developments on a, legis on a legislative front before then. Um, right. Because it's, it's going to be very yeah. difficult otherwise. So what about green roofs and living walls and rain gardens? The, the green roofs that we, we look after, we, that um, we maintain, and they do need maintenance. Um, yeah. And they tend to be bequeathed to us rather than required by us. And, or by, they, they, they tend to become part of, um, of the planning process whereby they are added on as as a, as a green a green sort of addition to to help the planning process go more smoothly um right. and it's not just green roofs it's that, that happens with all sorts of things like solar panels as well um but we do yeah we do look after a few of those and um and they are they are very good and they will become more and more important as as the temperature starts to rise to prevent heat islands and to to, to naturally cool some of our urban spaces. Right. Um, as, as I said earlier, we do have a number of developments that are a little bit different to the norm, and they do come with large areas of open green land and, and, and watercourses, etc. Yeah. And um, we've got a number of projects going with um, local nature conservation bodies and okay. volunteers to, to maintain areas and to, to help improve areas for residents and for wildlife. Um, and also, um, we have one particular development in, in um, near Hazelmere, where um, we've t partnered up with um, a local college in Guildford, and we, uh, we we've let them utilise the grounds to facilitate their um, their degree studies. And nice. it's, 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 a, it's a lovely mix. It's, it's not massive, but it's got woodland, grassland, it's got a pond, and yeah. um, there's there's lots of interesting things going on there, which. Um, which is which is great because they get to study it, they get to produce management plans, etc. And, and we we can share that information with residents. We can share that information with our with our colleagues as well, and right. um, and everyone benefits. So bringing so bringing biodiversity, uh, bringing um, you know the green spaces into your developments and mm. into your properties is is a part of what you'd be thinking about as well. Absolutely, then. yeah, yeah. And we have we have resources of examples of. of of such little things, little projects happening across um, all of our developments as well. We've got quite an influx of urban beekeeping that seems to be breaking out at the moment, which is, uh, is interesting. Okay. Is smart switching a part of what you're looking at as well? So whether that's you know internally within the buildings themselves, or maybe smart switching to the grid when it's you know a windy day and you want to, and it's actually quite green to use electricity from the grid. Yeah, I mean, we we um, we procure gas and electricity for the common areas that, are, that serve our development. So not for obviously the residents themselves, but the areas that, uh, that we look after. Um, not also for our offices, that, that all comes via the, the landlords that we, um, that we, we deal with. Um, but for the, for the second year running now, we've um, procured green electricity tariffs and green gas tariffs as well. So it was important to us that we, we maintained that after we first achieved it last year. Um, it was also important that when we when we choose suppliers, that the the, the supplier will plough that particular funding straight back into renewables and um, and to provide lots of other benefits and add-ons that, that that are above and beyond, rather than just saying, well, here here's your Rego, here's your renewable certificate. And are, are landlords asking you to do their footprints for them? Do, do landlords need to submit a, a footprint for their properties? Yeah, we're starting to see that. Um, 
Whereas, whereas we haven't been directly asked for that yet. That is definitely a, 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 an area that will be a lot more, po- a lot more um, popular, I think, moving forwards. Are there one, two or three things that we could suggest to other property managers to, to be thinking about? I would, I would definitely suggest to, to property managers to, to look to start calculating your carbon footprints if you're not doing it already. Um, secondly, get in touch. It would be great to, to share best practice and to share knowledge with each other. Okay. And, and, and thirdly, yeah, again, share, share, share any good news stories you've got. Let's, let's all talk about it together. Christian, thank you very much for your time on this podcast it's been really really interesting to hear the challenges that you've got there i mean such a big job well thank you very much for inviting me paul it's been a, it's been a real pleasure somebody if somebody wants to get a hold of you christian what's the best way for somebody to reach you i would suggest um contacting me via linkedin all right christian once again thanks very much thank you paul. cheers